Hi everyone, welcome to our daily chit chat with myself and Jay Jagannath Prabhu. Uh, my name is Kishore Chandra, and we come on here every night at 6 p.m. A little early today because I wanted to make sure there were no glitches. Yesterday we were having some glitches. Um, welcome, Ara. Welcome. Uh, so we come on here every night at 6 p.m. and we discuss spiritual topics. So um, we've been discussing, yesterday we discussed simplicity. Welcome Princess Pepina. Yesterday we discussed kind of simplicity and having simplicity in our, in our heart and how we approach things. Um, but it got cut off um, right when it was getting juicy because welcome Indulika Devi, welcome, welcome. It cut off right when it was getting juicy because um, Jai's phone couldn't handle the nectar. The nectar. So hopefully his phone will be able to handle the nectar today. Welcome Kavi. Welcome everyone. We're just going to get started in just a moment. Welcome Geneva. Hare Bol, Hare Krishna. Happy Balaram GMT. Jai. I hope you all had a nice celebration today. Um, we're just waiting for our dear Jai Jagannath to sign on and then we'll get started talking about authenticity in our spiritual practices, um, simplicity in our spiritual endeavors. And I got a question which I'm excited to bring up. Um, Jai! Happy Balaram Purnima. Yes. Has anyone seen the deities in Vrindavan? They look stunning. So if you haven't done that yet, please go on Iskandar and look at the deities. They look amazing. Okay, Jai Jagannath is here. And we'll get started. Welcome, welcome. Hey, Bo. Hari. Hari. I, I didn't get a new phone yet, so... <laughs> It's okay. We'll we'll go until the phone says no. <laughs> but I wasn't really using my phone most of the day today, so it's completely cool. Okay. So I, I'm hoping it doesn't get to burning hot within the half hour. That is my hope. That's also my hope. I was saying we'll see we'll see how much of the nectar Jai's phone can handle, how much Shakti it can handle. Well, I don't know if we have any nectar to offer from my side, so we'll do that to you. <laughs> wow. Today is Balaram Purnima. It is. Balaram Purnima means the appearance of Baladev, or Balaram, who's Krishna's older brother and Krishna's pastimes in Braja. Yes, yes. You read anything interesting about Balaram? No, I heard uh, Guru Maharaj's lecture in the morning, um, and then, did you... <laughs> Sorry, Sanjeevini Radha saying refrigerate it before. <laughs> <laughs> you should, I mean, that, that might work. <laughs> that might work. <laughs> okay, that's, the sorry. that's the level of ghetto-ness that we're currently at. <laughs> Just wanted to get uh, my um, phone from the refrigerator. <laughs> You were here um, in class. I was hearing a class. It was very nice. My mind wasn't so um, stable. So oh, I having yeah. a stable mind. <laughs> yeah. So I had to just kind of like 
pause and do some things that I, I needed to take care of. Um, but then I got those done. Um, and then I've just been on the beach all day. <laughs> wow, sounds really spiritual. <laughs> Wait, okay, so I have I have a question from, from the audience. I have a question that came to me yesterday, and it, it's kind of in line with what we were speaking about yesterday. Okay. And so I'm, I'm now definitely feeling this, because I feel like yesterday we were talking about, like, yeah, time in the ashram, and, you know, um, we were speaking about simplicity yesterday and being authentic with where you're at in your spiritual practices like this. And so someone sent me a message, a, a, a listener, saying, like, how she uh, very much identified with that, because she was in the ashram for many years, different types of ashrams. And similarly, like she would show up to programs like her mood, her mood was showing, you know, like her face was showing like this. However, she was saying that now that she's left the ashram and she's on her own, she feels like she's been left to her own devices. And that even though, of course, and those you know, are not very saintly devices. No, I suspect. And, <laughs> and even though and I feel when when she wrote this to me, I was like, ooh, I feel I feel confronted. <laughs> Because what she said was, yeah, you know, even though she's um, following nicely, you know, like the, the things that we're supposed to do as devotees. However, because that austerity of living in the ashram, that, that, that austerity of not being in our comfort zone of like that, like rub is no longer there. She feels that like perhaps her progress has slowed down a bit. Absolutely. And and when she wrote that, I was just like, mm, yes, like that's exactly how I feel because we were speaking about, you know, these past two chit chats, having the deity, having the community, having the ashram, having having that with you, you know, creates a kind of uh, austerity if you're living in the ashram. And if you're not living in the ashram still, there's that service, there's that responsibility to the community. And I mean, I felt very like, I felt very like confronted with that because I'm just like, I'm just here at the beach and uh, yeah, it's all around Purnima. Okay, yeah, I'm, at, you're, I'm at the beach. You're, you're getting the message at the beach, sitting back with your legs popped up. <laughs> Talk about, yes, girl, I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> so, her, so her question and also my question is like, what is that? It's a very fine line. Like, what's that line between, you know, being put out of your, being put, placed out of your comfort zone for the sake of austerity and for the sake of, like, you know, pushing us to really go forward in our devotional life. And then, like, the other side of that line of, like, being honest with where we're at, you know, being honest with whatever we might be going through, being honest with, like, this is where I'm at. I can't be pushed too much or else I'm going to go off the edge, you know? And it's, it seems like it's a very... Mm. Yeah, I, I honestly don't have an answer. I wonder if it's a trade-off. Mm. The trade-off being, listen, you kind of adhere to the stipulations of a particular practice, and you have to kind of endure the feeling of inauthenticity until you become more embodied in your tradition. Mm. And it's kind of like a sort of endurance. In, or you you kind of side with the, with being more authentic and kind of releasing yourselves from the obligations of those stipulations, but then you have to endure the suffering that comes from not being that progressive in your spiritual life. Mm. I'm not saying that what I'm saying, hearing her 
in my own experience, your own experience, and the experiences of countless others I've heard in this regard, I really wonder if it's a trade-off. And I often bring this up in our personal conversations that we've had, that the material world basically works on the principle of trade-offs. Mm. Like, you can't have everything. Um, one example that I often give when I make this point is that when you look at the old world, let's say the old Vedic world, and the, the modern world today. In the modern world, we have a lot more social freedoms, but the trade-off for that more social freedom is a lot more bewilderment. People mm. are confused and bewildered, and our clown world is more than enough evidence to show for that the confusion is profound. Yes. On the other hand, in the old Vedic world, I don't know if this is true for all the old worlds, but the old Vedic world, you had a lot less social freedoms. Everything was like kind of rigid. The roles were super clear. You had to fit into the roles or you were kind of cast out to the periphery of the social culture. So mm. there was a lot more social rigidity, a lot less social freedom, but a certain clarity about what you're supposed to do, what is the purpose of your life, what direction you're moving. And I can imagine having not fully experienced that myself, I can imagine it's nice having direction and clarity mm. why is the common sort of complaint of the modern world it appears it's not like i've researched this uh, intensely but like mental instability a lack of direction a sense of meaninglessness etc well that's the trade-off you get to have the more social freedom and do as you like as krishna says um, those who reject the Shastri Vidi, and they can do as they like. But what is the result? There will be no happiness. There will be no Siddhi. Siddhi means like a perfection mm. achievement. Mm. And there will be no Parangiti, no achievement of the ultimate objective of life. Mm. Uh, that's the trade off. Okay, reject mm. Shastri Vidi and do as you like. But there's a trade off. So like that, I wonder if also when it comes to this acceptance and progress tension, if, if it's a trade-off, mm. I'll adhere to the stipulation of the tradition, but the trade-off is I have to endure the suffering that comes from feeling a little inauthentic because I'm not really embodied. I'm not really embodying the tradition just mm. yet. I have to make more progress. Or I, I'm honest and simple and self-accepting and just take it at my own pace and all whatever language we use um okay well the trade-off for that is that you get to suffer the what's the word i'm looking for the innervating feeling of just not yeah the, the feeling of innervation innervation mm. the feeling of not losing vitality losing force mm. and not making progress so I don't have an answer, but from my own personal experience, from what she's saying, and from what I've heard from countless persons in this regard, it seems to me that it might be a trade-off. Mm. Um, I do have another point, but I have one other point. Maybe I'll just say it, but I want to elaborate it to give you some, some response time, because my other point would be that I often wonder if the modern world, which, frankly speaking, is way too comfortable, mm. I wonder if that largely accounts for this tension being such a big deal in our lives. Mm. Like even, if, even if we grew up relatively poor, like I grew up relatively poor, but relative to a lot of the, uh, the world situation, I'm balling. 
I'm like a, I'm like a true baller. I, I think I've shared this expression on here before where I, apparently it's a Native American saying, I don't know, where it says that a rich person is one who eats when he wants to and a poor person is one who eats when he can, when he can. Mm. And I remember when I first started, I was like, dang, I'm rich because I eat whenever I want and there's no problem. So relative to the world, I'm quite comfortable, but I often, not often, I have in the past kind of envisioned myself in a, a sort of mendicant situation or in, indigent situation. Mm. And maybe not totally destitute, but close to it. And I wonder if the discomfort of my real life situation would allow me to adhere to stipulations without that feeling of inauthenticity. Whereas, mm. in the, whereas in the modern world of comfort, our senses are always pushing us toward the comfort position, the position that offers greater pleasure, the, that offers greater central um, experience and feeling mm. and emotion. And because of that, it's like, ha it's like being a drug addict with a drug always in front of you. So mm. with the modern world offering us so much sensual delight, it makes the experience of adhering to true spiritual principles feel like a chore. It makes me feel more and more inauthentic because my senses are pulling me in the opposite direction. In mm. other words, the experience may not be that you're really inauthentic, but because we've, you know, not yet self-control, we're pulled in the other direction, so we feel fake. Mm. But if we didn't have that comfort position, a world a very seductive world, although luckily it's becoming less so, and maybe soon enough we'll all be poor indigent together, um, standing in solidarity and poverty together. Maybe, that, maybe that's coming up soon, but at least for the right now, being relatively well-to-do and comfortable with our, our iPhones and our Netflix and our, little, and our ice cream and whatever it is that we're doing to numb the lack of inner development, with that always being in front of our face seducing us, it makes following something genuine feel inauthentic for us because mm. we just always feel the pressure of moving towards a comfort position. But if that wasn't there, I really wonder if we would feel this inauthenticity that we tend to feel when we start to follow something seriously. I tend to doubt that we would actually feel that, and it would mm. be a lot easier. Anyways, mm. these are some, these are, yeah, I guess what I, I have to say about. I agree with you. I agree with you a lot um, because I feel like on a personal level, I'm dealing with this a lot, you know, uh, after, after a while, like, I think I did have that vision at some, at one point of like similar, maybe not mendicant, but, <laughs> but I was like, I'll just stay in the ashram forever, you know, like this. And I just want to go to Vraj and I just want to like this. I just want All to right. like be very simple in my life. And, and then something started to happen, you know, where I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And I mean, what started to happen was like the modern world, society, those like strings pulling at your head and at your heart of like comfort. And, you know, I think it's really, I think you're right. I think you are right. Because like, how much do we, something just came up for me of like how much we compare ourselves to other people and like what what a successful life is supposed to look like and i feel like i feel like it's hard though because since everyone is so you know what's the word impelled compelled compelled to like this you know material sense enjoyment when we see others have things that we don't even if it's not like on a on a rich 
scale lux- luxury level. Just like, oh, that person has an apartment, you know, that seems more convenient or something like that. Why can't I have that? Or this person has this. Why can't I have that? This, and I mean, it really boils down a lot to envy. And it really boils down to this. Absolutely. But, but then my question is like, I mean, like, I think that I've, I've had these thoughts. I've had the thoughts of just like, you know what? If everything just goes to shit, sorry, like mendicant, mendicant status. Like I'm just moving to India. This is how I'm doing it. Bus, you know? But I mean, like, I feel like that's, that's the, that's the best possible situation for, you know, mendicant status where you're like in Raj, you're somehow or another um, having the mercy of people there like this. But I don't know. I've always been a little bit, I know we've spoken about fear on chit chat and stuff like this, but I always feel like this society really, because I was going to say I am afraid, but I don't think it's me. I think that society really paints this picture of like what being, you know, poor and not and indebted and like not being able to like pull yourself up is like, there's a very clear understanding of what that is in society versus like, I have and I can and I have, you know, material wherewithal. I have, you know, financial whatever like this. I have education. I have. And I feel like I do agree. I feel like it is society that in many ways has kind of pitted those two ideas against each other. And so it's very difficult when you do like, let's say, leave an ashram or something like that. Or you do kind of like move out of community, community living in a sense. I mean, you have more experience than I do in this, but there. I mean, there's that there's that gnawing thing of like, oh, should am I supposed to be going for that thing? You know, like that's kind of the question where I'm I'm asking myself right now: Am I supposed to be going for like okay, material answer, success or whatever? Answer to that is no. So <laughs> since you said that was a question that you have, I'm giving an answer to that question. The answer Thanks. is no. Thank you. Um, one other thing that I noticed <laughs> about, especially my observation of persons who've lived in the ashram and then have to sort of make a life for themselves yeah. post ashram is the struggle it is to make a life for yourself. Yes, like yes, the, this is the problem. <laughs> the the, the um, influx of responsibility that you weren't accustomed to when you were staying in the ashram. As sim- as something literally as simple as cooking for yourself. It's kind of hard. Like, I lived in the ashram <laughs> for 13 and a half years. I never cooked. I would come downstairs, boom, Prasad was like, abundantly available and it was bomb when i was in chicago's ashram the prasadam was bomb and it was always there like no matter what time of the day i went prasad was there ready you know (laughs) and and then when you come to live on your own like i I, my first experience of being on my own i was still in the ashram but i went to brudge for a period of like six months and i was staying by myself in one little cute little apartment next to the Christian Muller on Monday. And I was doing everything for myself. So I was and everything. My my little apartment, it was so small. And I loved it. It felt like a little budget on Kutir. So it had like a bathroom, a kitchen, a little space for sleeping. I thought it was great. And I thought this was perfect for spiritual practice and brudge. I, just between cooking, wait, buying the boga, cooking and offering it to Christian and then cleaning the dishes afterwards, <laughs> cleaning up the bathroom once or twice a week. So it didn't turn into like a pig's you know, pen and washing your clothes. So you didn't stain just between those three activities. 
I feel like my whole day was getting swallowed <laughs> up. And I, I kid you not, it was during that experience, which was about maybe it was 2014 when this when I was living like living this way, 2014 maybe. I remember that was the first time it occurred to me why people who live outside need to live in partnerships. Mm. <laughs> I, I kid you not. I was like, oh my god, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> Just to do home duty stuff takes a lot of freaking energy and if you add mm. a kid to that that increases exponentially so mm. someone brings home the bread and then someone stays at home and makes the bread i'm like oh my god that makes perfect sense <laughs> and i i kid you not it was the first time i genuinely felt like that made a lot of sense to me and i and i and i see when i like lived in when i live in new york i see how like everyone they have to buy their food from outside and um, they're always in a rush. Everyone's working. No one gets to spend time with each other. So then it, I was like, okay, it makes sense. Anyway, so the reason I'm bringing this point up is when you go from in the ashram life to post-ashram life, um, and you have to accept all the, these responsibilities that are suddenly on your plate. Responsibilities, aside from keeping you accountable, they also can be demoralizing, especially if you're working a job that's, over eight hours, which is like somehow the normal now. Like, like a lot of the friends that I talk to, they work jobs up to 10, sometimes 12 hours, like average. And it occurred to me looking at them, because I've obviously lazy as hell, and I've kept <laughs> in the ashram. I'm like not in the ashram, but my lifestyle is still somehow an ashram style lifestyle. Um, I observing that I realized that wow, a lot of responsibility can be demoralizing. And it's self-innervating. Mm. And the order to sort of decompress from the demoralization of a lot of responsibility of, let's say, making money that from a job that you don't really appreciate and, and so on, is that you just want to decompress and with, like, some ice cream on Netflix. And so I noticed that's, that's like, the trend. Mm. And so, if the, the, yeah, the struggle for survival also kind of can put a pressure on the progress of your spiritual life. You know, just something as getting like an apartment and making rent and cooking or at least eating every day, at least one meal per day, if not two or the average three and so on and so forth. So I know in this way, all these things together can also, yeah, it causes you to move into the comfort zone, to move into the zone that seeks pleasure and yeah. The more you, the more one goes into the pleasure zone, the harder it is to make progress in yeah. spiritual life. And the more, yeah. Anyway, so that. But it, but it seems like it's a conundrum because I don't know if you've been looking at these comments. But I'm like, not, I'm looking at them now. Princess Pepina being like, imagine doing that with a full time job, and those right. jobs are worth. And then Kavi being like, the film industry is twelve to fourteen hours a day, five to six days a week, no time for a real life or a spiritual practice. Right, then, there's just like two different ideas there, right? Which is yeah, and then Prince Pina try to be a spiritual person in an office filled with people you don't necessarily like, everyone pushing your <laughs> button, everyone pushing your buttons, etc. It's the best place to put your spiritual life to the test. I've heard this a lot. You know, I I have mixed feelings about that. I, I like haven't that. heard. I haven't heard this. You never heard that. I've I've heard this. Well, I remember moving to New York and complaining. Um, you know, I wouldn't have called it complaining at the time. I would have called it um, 
being vulnerable and sharing my feelings, but it was basically <laughs> complaining. And I was complaining how materialistic New York is and how everyone's yeah. like super lusty and it's really agitating to be in the city with all this lustful energy, blah, 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 blah. I was complaining. And one person, a friend of, I was with Sham Sundri, and who's like my big sister. I love her so much. Shout out to Sham Sundri. I might be <laughs> seeing her in Kali soon. Ooh, me too. Um, yeah, so <laughs> she, I was, it was her friend who isn't a, a devotee of Krishna, but she's a spiritual practitioner. And mm -hmm. she's, she mentioned to me, like, this is why this is the best place to practice spiritual life for the very reason that it is so materialistic. So if you can be spiritual in New York, then you could be spiritual anywhere. And, like, I appreciate that on, like, a very abstract level. And I remember, I don't know if I said this to her, but I certainly think it. And I probably thought it then, too. I'm like, that's a really big if. <laughs> I'm like, you said, if you could be spiritual in New York. I'm like, that's a gigantic, gargantuan, isn't that right? Yeah. yeah. I'm like, that if, because I'm like, from my observation, most people are not fulfilling the conditions of that if. <laughs> They're not meeting the if, you know, criteria. <laughs> and they're not making it. Like, people are coming into New York as Christian bhaktas or as yogis or people who are generally spiritual, and they're ending up as demoralized individuals in terms of their spiritual life. Personally, I can say that I remember, I mean, I remember before I moved into the ashram and I had a full-time job and I, I was a full-time social worker and I was teaching like eight, 10 yoga classes a week. Right. And I was living with roommates in Brooklyn that like were not Krishna conscious. And it was like a whole, I did everything that you can expect from a Bushwick apartment, that's what was happening. You don't, I don't need to go into details. And I remember like, because I was getting deeper in my, in my spiritual life, I couldn't handle it. Like I couldn't handle that energy. I was just like, this is insane. You know, this is insane. And then being in the ashram felt like shelter and then leaving the ashram, I was with my family and I was like, I can't handle this. And now I'm here. Like, that's basically what it is, you know, because I think it's quite the conundrum. And, you know, it's like if you're having to work nine hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, 14 hours a week, it's like, how am I supposed to do my bhajan? You know, it's like, Absolutely. I don't. Absolutely. And it's like, I just, but I guess like my, my question that I don't know if there's an answer to this question, it's like. What do we do? You know, because it's like I I know of grahasta couples that they're 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 doing it. You know, somehow or another they're doing it, and like all power to them. But it seems like the material world. It's like you know, it's I mean, it doesn't seem it is it is setting us up to fail. You know, it is setting us up to fail in regards to our spiritual progress. However, we can't. You know, there are material world realities that we have to face in regards to like, well, Absolutely. I got to do the job and I got to pay Absolutely. the rent and I got to do like this. So it's like, it seems like, you know, of course it's like, I should be, I've heard these answers before of like, I should be doing what I need to do in the material world, but always having my spiritual life kind of as a priority. But that doesn't seem to happen so often, you know, well, especially in places like New York. Yeah. Princess Pepina and she's saying, oh, and I agree. The household is a perfect place to practice or a great place to practice these sort of qualities, compassion, kindness, patience, and so on. You know, the household is, is a great place. We all have our different fields of activity. Yeah. Whether it's an ashram, whether it's a household, 
you know, brothers for job. These are all, you can just think of them as different fields of activity or practice. Um, I, at the end of the day, because I, like I'm saying. I, Sorry, I'm just looking at Sanji Bani Radha's comment. Did you see? She yeah, said, but no, Takor did it with a serious job. It must be, it must, it must be possible. Yes. Girl, have y'all seen Bagno Takor's schedule? <laughs> if I tried to follow that schedule for one day, I would be dead. Dead. Like physically dead. Like physically dead. Not spiritually demoralized. Like dead. He like hardly slept. He like it's Bagno Takor is in a category of his own. Yes, but we do empowered. have many householders today who are very successful yeah. practitioners of Bakri. Like when I see them, I'm, I genuinely look at them and I'm like, how the hell do y'all do it? I, yeah. Like, I genuinely want to know how y'all do it. Like, it's, it's incredible. But we mm. all have our different fields of activities. And at the end of the day, because in the beginning of this chit chat, I was saying, it, it occurred to me that it might be a trade-off. Yeah. And one thing, I remember talking to one householder about a month ago, two, two months ago. And, you know, he was just doing the kind of the senses pulled him towards the, the kingdom of pleasure and all of that. And it kind of, he just kind of came to a breaking point. Mm. And he decided to allow his spiritual principles to guide his life, which meant the adherence to, you know, certain restrictions and the application of certain things that may be difficult and austere and all that. And he just decided to allow his life to be guided by those principles and to endure the suffering that comes from the feeling of being inauthentic because our senses not yet fully dried out are is still reaching towards matter in some way, yeah. which is really causing that feeling that I'm not being authentic. But it kind of, for him, it seemed that it came to a point of kind of being broken by the kingdom of suffering, which is the material pleasure principle and realizing that, no, you know what? I have to allow my life to be guided by my actual principles. And mm -hmm. frankly speaking, I think that's something that's likely to happen to a lot of us. The future looks bleak. Uh, let's not dress it <laughs> up. Like astrologers are talking, anyone who keeps their head in the news for, it, for whatever bad reason. That we all know the world is not doing well, mm. and it doesn't seem like it's going to be doing well for a minute, a good minute, not like a not like sixty seconds minute, like the you know Negro minute, <laughs> where a minute can mean seven minutes to seven years minute. <laughs> like it's been a minute since I've seen you, which meant like twenty years minute. <laughs> that sort of minute. Um, it looks like the world situation is not going to be doing well for a minute, mm. and I imagine that as the, the, the pressure of the world situation increases, it's going to obl oblige us to make a serious decision about what we want for our life. Mm. The decision that I imagine a lot of us may not have enough strength to make right now on our own. And in other words, like when you're in a comfortable situation, you're not gonna just really give it up if you don't have to. Mm. Like, no. Like when I'm in Brindavan and I'm staying in a posh apartment and someone's like, can you give it up for this Maharaj? I'm like, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> why would I? Why would I give up this posh apartment in Brja where I can do my bhajan? 
<laughs> through my, my oh my god, Krishna with great com comfort. So I I imagine if you're human like me, then we're not gonna just give up the comfortable situation. No, <clears throat> we will basically have to be pushed into the life that we really want for ourselves, and that yeah. comfort may not be allowing us to fully embrace with our full heart, even though we want to. I'm remembering this story anyway. One should not tell this story in the public in one sense because it seems kind of strange, but we know about Narda and his previous life. Mm. Um, he was the son of a maid servant. Yes. He only knew his mother. At one point, four sages came to the place where his mother was doing the maid service and he was helping her out. And by association with these sages, he became a devotee. Yes. After after four months, because the sages were there for the period of Chaturmasya, a four-month period, anyway, they they leave, and he wants to travel with them, but he can't because it's like, my mother has no one. Someone needs to take care of her. I need to be with her. By providential arrangement, a snake bites his mother in the field, and she ends up dying. And he was very young when this happened, and the he, he this is Naramuni's own statement, um, he said that he considered this to be the mercy of the Supreme Lord. Mm, Not yes. that killing my mom was Christian's mercy per se, but that was kind of the, the last straw that was kind of holding him. And when that, when that obstacle of sorts, in context obstacle, not that your mother is an obstacle, but in context, when that obstacle was released, then he was able to charge forward in his spiritual life. And Bhaktivedanta Swami, he writes like a two-sentence um, purport to that um, verse. And he says, this is the way that the Supreme Personality of Godhead drags a sincere soul back home, back to Godhead. Mm. And this phrase has never left my mind since I first read it, because I just had this image of being a kid, being dragged mm. by my mom, you know, mm. in the store, like throwing a temple tantrum, just for letting you know, I never threw a temple tantrum because I knew better. I grew up in a black family. <laughs> and black families don't play that temple tantrum stuff in public. <laughs> so I never, no. but I have seen this where a kid throws a temple tantrum, a temple yeah. tantrum, and the parent may have to drag the kid and he doesn't want to go and he's hooting and hollering. And I just had this image like, wow, spiritual life really looks like that. Like, I don't want to release my comforts. I don't want to let go. I want to hang on. But providential arrangement, which for Bhaktas is just Krishna's hand in things, mm. tells us, like, bro, make your choice. Mm. Are you going to choose a life that you really want for yourself in your heart of hearts? Or are you going to go for the superficial? Mm. And you're like, we're like, um, the superficial. <laughs> and then, you know, Krishna's like, you peace. Then he just smashed the superficial. <laughs> I was like, now make your choice. And you're like, oh, man. All right. <laughs> I'll go for the thing that I really want in my heart. And I really, yeah, I think, you know, I don't feel bad about being trapped in comfort <clears throat> because I'm a shameless, horrible <laughs> bhakti. So I don't really feel bad about wallowing and cesspools of sensual enjoyment <laughs> but i i do have a awareness that you know krishna is kind of like forcing gonna force my hand i've heard this from several devotees and i do sense this myself that the covid situation the lockdowns and all this is forcing p 
people's hands, even it's the force is a little bit slow, but it it's um, certain. Mm. It's like it's like I have this image of the X Men with the there's this one episode of the X Men when the X Men are in the danger room, mm. and at one point all the the host around in the danger room becomes walls that's closing in on them. And they're trying to push back against the walls and, and no one can push back against it. It's too strong. So I feel like the, yeah, the world situation is pushing us mm. in a inexorable way. Yeah. That will kind of force our hand. And so if you're anything like me, human, and not the best practitioner of bhakti, then we will likely be forced to make a decision for our life that we want. Knowing well that, you know, life, yeah, life is like a bunch of trade-offs. Mm. You want to be comfortable, you can't make progress. You want to mm. make progress, can't be comfortable. Mm. You know, you want to follow the stipulations of scripture, well, you're going to have to deal with the fact that you are lusty little soul running <laughs> out your sense objects and matter, and you're going to feel fake as hell during spiritual life, but just tolerate that and go on. Mm -hmm. Or you embrace your lusty side. You know, I love myself for who I am. And you don't make spiritual progress. Like, it's a trade-off. Make your pick. Mm -hmm. and, and if offered the opportunity to choose, I'm sure many, if you're anything like me, then you're going to be like, um, I choose sense gratification. <laughs> and Krishna's like, you know what? I like you, so I'm going to help you out here. And then we're just going to smash the sense gratification. And then we're going to be like, all right, all right. I'll stop playing. I just, oh, that's Krista. my personal sense. I feel like it's such a good um, explanation of all of this and very relatable because I feel like so many of us have gone through that where we, you know, like we're human. We, we choose, we chose and choose and hopefully, you know, don't continue to, but it, we will. The sense gratification. And I mean, I've gone through it so many times where you choose the sense gratification, try to wrap it up in some nice, you know, gift wrap paper, make it look like it's pretty, make it look like, oh, it's part of my service, you know, it's part, it's gonna help me in my spiritual life. And then Krishna's just like, bam, bam, <laughs> bam, like out of here, it's boom, you know, it just like completely explodes. And you're just like, mm-hmm, <laughs> oh my God. I'm just remembering, it wasn't a meme, it wasn't a meme. It wasn't a meme, but it was a video that I sent to you. And it was this girl and she was kind of like kneeling at her bed and she was like, God, she was like, God, please, you know, send me a sign if like this guy, if this guy or something like is, isn't right for me oh, or like it's the one or whatever. And, and then like you hear like an ominous, you know, God voice and God's just like, no, she's like, I, I really pray, you know, just please send me a sign. He's like, are you not listening? I just said no. And she's like, and if you can send me a sign. And then out of nowhere, like a clock or something comes and like hits her in the head. And she's just like, oh, what the heck? Yes, <laughs> and, I, yes. and I feel like that's exactly what it's like. It's like you hear, you know, we, the signs are there of Krishna being like, yo, what are you doing? Yes. Like, yo, you know that that's okay, I'm gonna let this one slide. But like, you're running on, you know, it's like a little, mm -mm. and then eventually it'll be that clock coming out of thin air, just like, boom, smack in the yes. face. And sometimes that's what it takes, you know? Sometimes that seems to be the general pattern. <laughs> I um, know many devotees, well, I, not personally, but I know of many devotees who 
kind of went hard on the sense gratification thing, got smashed really hard, and then came back to Krishna. And I think this is the most beautiful thing about a lot of Christian bhaktas, is that even though they look like they're doing sense gratification hard, because they practically are, their hearts are with Krishna. It's, it's, it's really incredible because mm. I'm not saying this is true for all bhaktas, but I know of, I know of many bhaktas where they doing the sense gratification program whore. Like they, <laughs> they going in like full on everything, breaking all the regular principles, maybe except for the meat eating, but they doing it hard. And they get smashed hard mm. because Krishna's, you know, that's basically his pattern. Like, you know what? You my you my devotee. I'm the godfather. This is the mafia. You ain't getting out that easy. <laughs> and so he kinda like smashes our program. And then I've seen it. Many devotions come back and they kinda mm. just embrace the practice with full vigor and fervor and and honesty and authenticity, frankly. Yeah. And what I find so awesome about that and a reason why I try to avoid making harsh judgments about devotees when they're struggling with sense gratification or their dark nights of the soul is that you can, you never know where their heart's actually at. Yeah. They may look like they're doing sense gratification hard so their heart is with Maya but when Krishna smashes it they just come back to Krishna like it wasn't even a thing. Mm. And I always appreciated that like wow their hearts were with Krishna mm. even though they were like doing the sense gratification thing hard but they needed a little help and Krishna mm. was glad to oblige. Mm. Um, as the as Madhavapuri saying as the sweet Lord that he is, yeah, he was he was glad to oblige. Yeah, these are all very good points. I'm glad that um, I'm glad that I'm gonna hopefully see you in September because I literally, you know, the whole comfort thing. I literally was speaking to a friend this morning, uh, not not a devotee friend, and I was like, what was I doing in New York, like? My family owns a bunch of stuff down here. I'm alone. I'm on the beach. I can do whatever I want. Like all right. of this like comfort, sense, grass stuff started to come up. And like, you know, I'm just like, oh, thank God that I'm going to see the devotees soon. And I'm going to like be put back in my place because I think anyone, you know, anyone, any of us like trying to be devotees, you know, in our neophyte condition, if we're put into a position of extreme comfort and like where things are being given to us or things seem really easy, it's like, it's not going to go well, you know. Get ready I'm, to go down. Yeah, get ready to go down. Okay, Jai, this is a this is, this a, is good, a fun chit chat. This is a this is a fun chit chat. This is a fun chit chat. Uh, thank you all so much for for participating in all the comments and making it more um, interactive. All of your stories of of work and trying to practice this bhakti in real life, you know, in real life situations in our jobs and our families. So I think we'll call it a a, a night, yes. and uh, we'll be here tomorrow, which is Tuesday at six p.m. Thank you, Princess Pepina. Jaya's phone worked today. Adi I Hall was know. saying, amazing. Adi, I'm I'm very amazed. Not even one glitch. Uh, Adi Hall was saying that it was glorifying Kostuba, and yes, in, in New York, Kostuba is a wonderful, wonderful devotee, and everyone should go and learn from him. Um, Sham Induleka Devi. Sanjivani Radha, thank you for all your wonderful comments about putting the phone in the refrigerator. <laughs> thank you, Indulika Devi. Okay, everyone. Hari Bol. Hari Bol. We'll see you all tomorrow at 6 p.m. Thank you. Thank you, Jaya. Thank you.